So this is Frank Graham, guest host at uh, Coffee and Poets, a program uh, produced by Lawrence Dinkins Jr.'s Jr., a.k.a. Inseah, at the Naked Lounge, which happens every third Sunday at 5 p.m., every third Sunday of the month at 5 p.m. at 1111 8th Street. That's 401's 8th Street. Uh, this is episode 31 with Tracy Gordeen as our poet. And Tracy Gordine, Tracy Gordine's poetry and stories have been published in numerous literary magazines, and she's been anthologized within Shepard and Thomas's Sudden Fiction Continued uh, by Norton Publishing. Tracy and Quincy Troop were paired in a year-long exchange of letters for the anthology Letters to Poets, Conversations About Poetics, Politics, and Community by Satinalia Book. She's co-editor of Night is Gone, Day is Still Coming by Candlewick Press, an anthology of writing by young native writers, as well as We Beg to Differ, poems by Sacramento poets against the war. She has also co-edited the Thule Review with Luke Bright for the Sacramento Poetry Center. Tracy Gordine is a professor of English at American River College and chaired the creative writing department for the California State Summer School for the Arts from 1998 to 2013. She was also chair of the Sacramento Poet Laureate Committee for three laureate terms. For 10 years, she facilitated writing workshops within several California state prisons in the Arts and Corrections program for the William James Association. Her recent collection is Ringing in the Wild out of Adlumen Press in 2015. So we welcome Tracy Gordine. Tracy, thank you for being here. Sure. I'm glad to be here. So I thought we'd uh, look at some poems and then discuss them, see okay. uh, what your writing's like. And, All right. And I think, gosh, the first one in the book, uh, the first one out of Ringing in the Wild, In the In-Between, is a fascinating piece. Would you consider reading that for us? Sure. In the In-Between. If you want to hear a story, you'll have to sit here in the dark with me, outside of your own here. In the in-between of now and then, memory and forgotten, the place between lies and truth, synapse and thought, before one mood chases the other, now to then. That moment of breath before the kiss, the feel before the tears, yes, the silence before the noise. In this in-between, I stand on stage removed, from life and away from next. The in-between of thinking it up and writing it down. The in-between of liking what spilled and crossing it out. This is the place of story, of poem, of song, words tossed into air, a spectacle like stars flung to falling. I try to forget the me in this, to find meaning in the space in between each letter, each word, line, apostrophe, and comma. Breathe the in-between, the rise of eyes, the dip to page, the inhale and exhale. What I have found in the in-between begins like this. Oh, such beautiful work. Thank you. Uh, so many beautiful lines, Tracy. Thank you. Yeah. One wonders if the in-between is a sort of fleeting moment or it's a sort of a lasting memory. You know, it's uh, you give us a little combination of both, right? Right. Uh, 
So the, the term seems to refer to time or space, but you've done so much more with the language. It seems to be, you know, these, these moments of transition or of, of waiting. Right. I remember, I think that inspired me to do this was a little piece of poetics or, you know, philosophy of writing by Joyce Carol Oates. And she was, she was writing about what she studies when she reads others. And she says, I'm fascinated about what happens in between the period and the next letter, you know? And I thought, yes, so much does happen in the in-between, you know? We just slow down. Right, right. And that there's in-between and so much, you know? It's sort of a meditative poem for me. I mean, it's something very much I want to learn and recite, you know, on on <laughs> my commute. You right? know, when when the hair is standing up on the back of your neck because the guy behind you is driving two inches from your bumper. Right. It's just something you want to retreat to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I use this as an opening poem in readings. Right, right. You okay. Know, when before it used to be a, an, an apology poem. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Well, it's perfectly placed in the beginning of the book because, I mean, it tells you something about what's in between these pages, what's right. in between the covers right. of this book. There's uh, there's uh, plenty of time to slow down and read poetry and, and enjoy it, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So many good stories in the poem, too. You refer to uh, the story that you're telling in, in the in-between. And uh-huh. this is the place of story, a poem of song, words. Tossed into air, a spectacle like stars flung to falling. I love that. Stars flung to falling. Yes. Thank you. But, you know, it seems your poem seems to refer to something more specific, maybe. Or is it is it just a a poem of feeling? I guess, you know, it is it is a poem of, of time and of moment. When you consider the poem, because I was just tracking this thing, you know, what's coming, what's coming, what's coming as I'm writing it down. And I thought, what other in-betweens before that next moment? And that, that, as they say, the the breath before the kiss, you know. Um, the the moment right before you know you're going to cry, mm-hmm. that is an in-between. And I was thinking there's so many of those moments. And that's what I was exploring. That's what I was tracking as I was writing this. So in your writing, is, this, is that kind of uh, a common way? Do you think that you had a different creative technique for this poem than you've had for other poems that you kind of made a listing of things that filled the bill? I do. Or? I do. I think I do a lot of tracking in my poems. Um, I, I track images. I just let it go and I hear and I, and I just write it down. And sometimes it'll take me someplace. Sometimes it'll run me right into a wall, you know? Um, so you're record, recording in a sense what comes to you rather than right. trying to produce. Exactly. Something. Exactly. That's what I do. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes when I get stuck, I am tracking and I, the, the scent is getting faint. I'll have beside me um, a, a pile of poetry books or any kind of writing that I want for that particular mood. And I'll just grab one and open a page and read a couple of lines. And it's almost like the engine starts turning over again. Mm-hmm. And then I, then I keep going. I keep going with the track. 
And as a professor, is this something that you found that you could recommend to other writers? <laughs> no. Or would you, I would never tell would you my say, students. say, choose your own path. Right. I, still, I uh-huh. constantly tell my students, you better plan. Plan, plan, plan. But it's mostly comp. Right. Composition, right. Sure. right? With, and it's interesting when I do teach creative writing, I do want them to do the tracking, mm-hmm. to get out of their way, get out of their own way, and and see and hear what it is that they're writing to understand the musicality. Because when I am writing this too, I'm hearing the sound of it as well, and the pacing of it. And so if there's a word that comes in and it's a it's a eh, it's a flat note. You know, I'll take that word out because I want it to to mesh with the sound. Like a composer. Right. So you're li- you're listening for Absolutely. How the reader and do you read do you read the poem to yourself? Oh yeah. Before, yeah. I do. I do. I'll do it in several ways. Um, first I'll read it to the best of my ability. This is the way I would like this poem to go. And then I kill it. Then I kill it dead because I don't want the poem to require me to be there for it to be, a, you know, any good. So then I'll read it in the worst way I possibly can, <laughs> you know. Um, so sometimes I can hear when, it, when something sounds off, you know. And then other times I can hear where the breath is, where the break should go, where I can play with the lineup of the, you know, the alignment of words, where the line turns, and how one line can serve the other line. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Sound is important to me. I think today, in today's world, with all of the angst, all of the horrible things that have been happening in communities all across the United States, mm-hmm. we need softer places to go, right? Yeah. And this is, poetry is definitely a softer place to go. Absolutely. Poetry. I really think that it's going to take off. I really do. I think that there's going to be so much that needs that's going to be said in the next little bit, you know, like... What Lawrence did the other night was absolutely essential. And I think that what it did, it it offered a lovely healing for that evening. I really do. And I hope that more poets consider that, what their worth is, what their calling is in times like this. Um, It's when the arts really get challenged because I guarantee you, I hate to say this, but I really think that man is going to be coming after us, <laughs> as he did with Hamilton. He's mad at those guys. But, um, you know, I think I think uh, what we have to say is going to be very, very worth it. Mm. So Tracy just alluded to the reading that Lawrence had at the Crest Theater. I don't mm-hmm. want that to go without mentioning some of the listeners may not. No, oh. I, although I think everybody in Sacramento knew about the visit from the U.S. Poet Laureate to Sacramento at the Crest Theater, Juan Felipe Herrera. Yes. And uh, Lawrence had a terrific show with his electropoetic coffee group and uh, got up there on stage and just dazzled. Yes. Dazzled everyone. So, yeah. Yes, razzle-dazzle, baby. Razzle-dazzle. <laughs> Added some sparkle. So let's go on to mm-hmm. the next poem in the book that uh, really caught my eye. Um, a Woman Knows. Oh, This is a yay. super poem. Chap- <laughs> three chapters. Oh, yeah. One, two, three parts. Okay. Yes, this still, one. You know, still a short poem, but. What do you think? What, what, what captured you? 
a little bit about that? Well, I don't want to say too much about okay. it before you read. All right. right? Uh, but, you know, it is a, it's, it, it goes a lot, of, it, it covers a lot of ground in a short amount of space. <laughs> it's a sensual poem that tells uh, sort of the opening of m sort of many relationships in a way, I yes. think. And then it closes, <laughs> it closes the relationship too, if right. I recall correctly. This is my attempt at writing a love poem. Mm. Okay. And, and I've had this thing that always happens to me when I start, I say, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write a nice poem. <laughs> You know, and I sit down and I start writing it, and then that love just turns and goes sideways <laughs> every time, you know. And that's how this one, this one goes. So, uh, this is a woman knows in three parts. One, a woman knows it's on when a fist unfurls, she stands on tentative legs to test this new air about her, careful that this is not some trick to fool her onto ground that slides out from under her again. She inventories tired bras, proletariat panties, trades them in for lingerie, sleek, cool satins, delicate lace made of thin air, all worth a month's salary, all for him. Looks good in her mind, she imagines it all tossed, torn, pulled aside in haste. Her strappy little needle-thin heels she can't catch a bus in, walk downstairs in, just sit pretty pearl-tip pink toes in, are worn to bed. Because the entire effect, all that suggestion, all that promise, just won't let him wait. Seems plausible, seems sensible, somehow it's on again, too. A woman knows to count her blessings when she sees the failed couples, hard-faced and bored, eyes averted over tablecloths while his fingers brush hers. Her mother has been silenced, is more satisfied than even she. And listen, sisters no longer worry coast to coast, cajoling and coaxing as if she were a mule, stubborn on a hill. A woman knows to keep the peace as holidays arrive in quick secession. There is no choice but to settle in, try it on, let it ride, test it out. Be someone's someone, a taken care of woman. No one has to worry about. She's a we, not an I, but a they, a pair. Not a single, but a two setting, now a two for one. No more solo flights, and single is as good as a non. Three, a woman knows it's over when the sound of his breathing makes her want to smother him, not gently, but firmly and for sure, the way a shoe snuffs a bug. The weight of his hands on her flesh makes her tremble, the way mares shiver beneath flies. So she ducks, runs, circles, raises dust, bristles at the smacking sounds, kisses in her ear. There's a shame in this, a quiet, guilty, bad girl, woman, mother, turning back to whore kind of shame in this. What she had once prayed for and received, she now rejects, keeping her quiet in the dark. She lies, arms to sides, ankles crossed, beneath the covers so she won't kick 
won't twitch, won't move or buck, so she can concentrate on the soft calm of her own breath, hear the steady rise and fall, rising and falling, days like leaves, like dreams, like promises, all tides above the clang in her heart. Very good. Thank you so much. Such a beautiful poem. Um, so yeah, we do. We do. We get the span of a relationship in one poem. Yes. Um, the seduction, the curse. The say. parents, everybody else buying in on it. And the conclusion, you know, <laughs> finality. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't help but you know, there's the woman's interaction with a man. You know, basically. Mm -hmm. And here we have this election of a woman versus a man. Right. You know, and that's something other than a love right. poem, certainly. But right. <laughs> right. Our, our, <laughs> our biggest social exa example of woman and man, woman versus man. Yeah. Woman, is this is this empower? Is this empowering to write or is it more? Just expression of self, and I just I just look at it sometimes, and I think, gee whiz, Trace, why are you so cynical? <laughs> you know, I, I you could do something beautiful, you know, and yeah. soft and lovely. But you know, I got to tell you, there was this time I lived in Davis for thirty two years, and there was this one moment when I stopped at a four way stop, right, and there was a guy who was standing on the corner trying to cross the street in front of my car. And I looked at him and I thought, gosh, he's pretty. And I looked at him and he stepped off the curb and he began to walk across the street and I imagined us dating. Yes. And then there was this lovely romance and then, you know, the seduction. And by the time he re reached wow. the headlights, <laughs> he had moved in. And, and we, we, you know, we were getting on and all of his stuff. And before he got to the curb, he was farting in the furniture <laughs> and he had lost his job. But by the time he reached the corner, I was through with him. <laughs> so that this sure. was, I, that's a true story. I had that shorter than your poem, Tracy. Shorter than your poem. That's poem. right. <laughs> so this is like, isn't it? It's called the. It's, yes, it was. It's the. It's the shoot down. <laughs> right. Right. <clears throat> where Where is the point? There's a turn in the poem where uh, a shoe snuffs a bug. Uh, the sound of his breathing makes her want to smother him, not gently but firmly, and for sure. So I guess that's uh, when you uh, step onto the when sidewalk you know. from the curb. Right, right, <laughs> You're, right. Exactly. Uh, and you can see that in the second part, it's no longer her relationship, really, but all of the family, her mother, her sisters, um, what people think that she's supposed to be doing, you know, with her personal life and such. And, and um, I think that's often, you know. Hmm. How important is that imagination that you just expressed? That you, I, I, I have a feeling that what you're telling me is in part true, that that you did imagine something. I did, you, actually. You, you did. did. Yeah, I remember this isn't, it. This is not entirely a joke. And it wasn't involuntary. It wasn't a, a, you know, like, look at that. I'm going to do that and mm -hmm. see what happens. You know, it just, and when he was out of my, I thought, gee, Trace, <laughs> wow. So how, how important is imagination to the writer? Oh, I think it's extremely important. Is it? 
I think it is. I had to learn to get imagination um, because coming from the East Coast, all I had to do was just go downstairs, sit on the stoop and watch and something would happen in front of me. I'd go upstairs and write it down. I didn't have to do anything. And then I moved to Davis um, in 1978, and it was nothing but heat and weeds. And so I had to, there was nobody to see. So I had to use my imagination. I had to say, okay, what is this image, what is this image about? You know, what is it, what is it talking about? What is it, what's inside it? You know. So you can, you can just draw that up. Can you teach can you teach that? Can I a person try. learn? I, I try. Mean, you you seem to suggest that you learned it on your own by creative through uh, memory permission and listening and listening and and seeing understanding. I remember this is you know, I had the idea that imagination was really important to me, but there was a professor that I had in graduate school who said to us all, he said, if you can get this, you're going to solve 75% of your right, of your problems with writing. And we were like, holy grail, you know? And he said, the mind thinks in pictures, not with words. I see. The mind thinks with pictures, not with words. And he had us unpack that and understand that through image is emotion, and meaning. And so very much like, you know, in film, image tells the message, gives the mood. So he says, and so in poetry, the, your word choice is your sound, is your meaning, is your image. So by working exclusively with abstraction, you're not saying a thing. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I have my students do is I have them write stories using only one syllable words. Because they're working with big abstractions all the time, if they can sound important. Yes, yes. I had a I had an inmate at the prison. I remember I you know I kind of he was standing up, he was reading this thing, and and <laughs> and in the middle of his essay, you know, he said the the um, what's it called the what happens when a man gets his gets fixed? What is that called? Um, hit the castrated. Or no, not castrated. The neutered. not neutered. Oh, for God's sakes, the, the, no, that's for babies. Well, he used this big old word, the, the something, the, the something, something of society. And it was, he was using the vasectomy of our society relies on the, and I came out of my, you know, wanderings in my mind. I said, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> the vasectomy. Well, it sounded good, he thought. But I said, but you have to consider the meaning and the images of what you are saying at the same time. So a lot of times we are really dumb with the language. We want to use big, fancy sounding words and not really understanding that. Are we offering an image? Um, are we offering, are we offering meaning? And an emotional intent. And we're kind of divorced from it because of all of the gizmos and the, I'm old school, and yeah. the, you know, the texting and stuff and like that. We're living in such an abstract place right now. Right. Now, how do you come up with concrete terms to describe the abstract? But yeah. what you're saying is you have to force yourself to do it. You have to right. consider that. So, I mean, you talked about memory and listening as a way of connecting to fantasy or imagination. Mm -hmm. And that suggests that 
you connect to your past in some way. Oh, yeah. You went back to, you're from New York, I think, yeah. originally? East Coast, the, yes. The city? Mm -hmm. The city? Or, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So, and that in some way also connects you to the future. The fact that you go back to the past, but you're working with images, so you're look, projecting into the future, I guess. Right. Drawing from the past, projecting into the future, and that's... That's an interesting pattern for yeah. a creative person. Yeah. yeah. And I like to go into new worlds. Like the prison poems, that was very exciting for me because I had never been to this place before. But I did bring with me my experiences of New York because I said that main line, imagine it's Times Square at 3 in the morning, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that way I won't be afraid, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. And so – um, it's a city into a city. It's a society within a society. It's a totally new place. So that really woke up my imagination as well. And it was very, you know, inspiring. Tell me, tell me about the people you worked with. Inside? Yeah. The guys? Well, I worked with men, women, and children. I worked at Folsom per Folsom Prison, Vacaville Medical Facility. Um, I worked at Dual Vocational Institute, NCWF, the women's prison, and OH Close. So men, women, and children. Yeah, and I, I inherited that. I called it my milk root from Laura Holvine, who had that set of prisons. Right. Yeah, and so the guys inside, the guys are very open, very expressive, um, really, really willing and able to go for it. Um, interesting, the women were as tightly shut as pistachio nuts. You know, um, they did not want to offer word because their words had often been used against them. Mm. And so I had to build a trust in order to get that that done. Um, the kids were fun. They were they were fun. So was it hard? Was it hard work to go there and was there, was there fear or? Oh, at first it was like, you know, I tell people, I say, you know what it's like? It's like that scary house on the corner when you were a kid and your friends would dare you to run up on the porch and knock on the door. <laughs> and that at first was what it was like. It was like a dare. Oh, this is so exciting. Outside of bucolic Davis to go inside this place. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it was. Um, I would always feel as if I was bracing myself before I would enter in. But then when I would sit in that room full of those folks, it was the most fascinating time of my week because it was when I would really, really talk to somebody or somebody would really, really talk to me. You know, everybody was in uniform, everybody had ID. And so therefore, who are you kidding? You know, you don't have room to put on airs. You might as well be yourself. And so this is where I would have really conversations and I would really laugh. And so I would always look forward to that. And one day I went into NCWF, the women's prison, and I walked in the door, control, um, and <clears throat> I was standing in the in-between, <laughs> the outside world and the yard in these two gates and the one behind me shut. And I heard it shut, and a wave of relief came over me. And I thought, what does this mean, that I'm happy to be here? I said, we need to figure this out. What is this about? And I realized what it was is that my life stopped for three hours. I couldn't do anything about my life. My life couldn't intrude and do anything about me. I was there in that moment with these people for three hours. Mm -hmm. I was present. How much you gave them, but 
It sounds like you took so much from the experience. Oh, yeah. It was really, it was really good stuff. You know, and now I'm in a college where it's 17 week semesters, (laughs) but I taught men for 10 years. Could you imagine having a student for 10 years? That was just, it was great. And I know that you often read their poems. Do you read their poems? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would read their poems. Any favorites come to memory? Of- I don't have anything in memory, but I know that there's this wonderful poet from from Fresno area. Uh, his name is Jeff, and <laughs> he was he is this big old white guy. And uh, one thing about the prisons, especially in I don't know in the United States, but you see a sea of black and brown, and you see a white guy in there, but he and he doesn't have tats all over himself, but you know. And he's got blue eyes and a clean little crew cut. You watch out for them because that means that the judge couldn't look the other way on this guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? He couldn't look the other way. So what this guy did could not be excused, you see. Jeff was, is a remarkable writer. You know, he wrote incredible short stories. I had also a Karuk Karamin in Indian. His name was Raylan. And uh, Raylan wrote poetry that seemed so ancient and wise and still. Beautiful work. But he wouldn't let me take them, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'd see him write them, and he'd read them, but he wouldn't let me have him, have them. Um, so there were some beautiful writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could tell you many stories. Well, um, Central Avenue, on page 35 in your book, Ringing in the Wild is a fascinating piece. I right. would love to hear you read this. Okay. Central Avenue. This is an East Coast street. Central Avenue. Barbershops and hair salons, lounges and old movie houses, drugstores, rib joints, pizza sub shops, cheap tacky clothes stores where you could buy shimmy shimmy sheer see-through black blouses over a fire engine red bra. On every corner, the brothers paused to slap hands, eyes always on the street, tipping on, tipping on, past little girls in braids clipped down in yellow, green, blue barrettes, racing around adult legs, dragging baby brothers and jump ropes. Exotic names peace pierce the air. Latuan, Mayika, Janisha, sometimes simply Brenda, Arguments punctuated with Amatel quieted as they round corners. Dogs on three legs miraculously dodge huge, huge long boat cars gleaming iridescent green and gold. Station wagons full up with grandma in curlers. Pops chewing a stub of a cigar with a ladder hanging out the back. Honking at two women ignorant to the light change. Eyes closed and singing to the radio. Above the street sit the meaty arms of women leaning into sunlight, sentries of the avenue in faded Woolworth dresses, obese with the gossip. They watch the whores take up the space where shadows may fall. Neon flickers on dusk, dirty pinks, faint greens, champagne bubbles come to life. Lucky 12 Terrace Lounge, Kitty Corner, the Fabre, all lit up with jukeboxes, 
pool tables, large bodies on stools hunch over, waiting, waiting. They turn bored eyes to stare at silhouettes of moving landscape. Young men practice the walk. Black hats crumpled upon closely shaved heads. Jeans scraped the ground below. Black high tops. Combs stuck in pocket, ready for that pause, that pose of quick picking. A duck to peer in reflection and take a stab at vanity. They'll couple up with sudden dates outside movie houses, karate films, stale popcorn, young girls popping gum, snapping juicy fruit in time with the crisp click of thin-heeled shoes, hair gleaming, lips gloss, nails longer than they were this afternoon. So red, so orange, so purple, sure to catch some attention in the dark. They scatter past drunks lost in mumbled curses, traffic lights blinking solemn yellow, making it impossible to judge a chance, swagger, sway across the street. The night is left to cruise in cops, hurting habits, fools without sense to know the party's over, and the whores watch from shadows, step out in unison, in silence, arms crossed about their hollow waists, wounded daughters of the avenue. That's spectacular. Thank you. I think I have an idea of what this is about and where it is, but can you give us some background on it? Okay. This is um, a street in East Orange, New Jersey, <laughs> that spans from East Orange all the way into Newark, New Jersey, and Central Avenue. And this this thing was written because I was in... Um, I was in a place where, at a time where it was very popular to write about poetry about landscape, the natural earth, and everything. And I said, you know, I don't, I couldn't tell you the difference between a weed and a violet. <laughs> so let me, I said, so, but city has sure. landscape. So I thought, I'm going to take a street, just a corner, and I'm going to document it from morning until after dark. And that's what this is, is tracking the life on this street from morning till after dark. It's fascinating with its image, imagery and images and uh, just rich imagery and the, the, the voyage you take us on. But there's, there's also great attention to sound, as you mm -hmm. said. I love the line, snapping juicy fruit in time with the crisp click of thin-heeled shoes. Mm -hmm. I mean, just has this beautiful rhythm to <laughs> right. it, right? Not just the rhythm of the walk mm -hmm. and the sound of the mm -hmm. clicking heels, mm -hmm. but of the language describing that yeah. walk. Yeah. Um, and then it, just in the next stanza, making it impossible to judge a chance swagger sway across the street. Yes. This sibilance, there's mm -hmm. sibilant uh, sounds of mm -hmm. the S swagger sway across the street. Mm -hmm. I love that. A drunken walk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So a different kind of walk, I guess. But and then finally in the next stanza, in silence, arms crossed about their hollow hollow waists, wounded daughters of the avenue. Just uh such elegant use of uh the words, the the um Alliteration. I had a exists. hard time with that ending. I struggled with those last three lines for a long time, you know, because I saw it, but I, you know, and it, oh, no, that's not quite. Yeah. 
you tinker with it and you yeah. get there. Yeah. I, tinkering's a, I think end lines are so hard, you know? And I would say to my students, I go, you earn that end line, <laughs> you know? Do you pay attention to details always? I mean, this is such a detailed poem, such great description. Is detail always? Uh, well, if I can see memory? it, if I can see it, I can get it. My one of my favorite images is uh, above the streets at the meaty arms of women leaning into sunlight. Centuries of the avenue in faded Woolworth dresses, obese with the gossip, you know. And I and I saw I saw that. I've been seeing that all my life. And there's a whole life that's lived above the streets, you know, in those buildings. So, you know. And so if I can see it, I can say it. So image really is. You're a visual person. Yeah. So do you, yeah. I always wonder about visual people. Do you dream in color? Yes. Do you know? Yes. You do, do you? Do you don't? I, I don't know. I don't ever really think of Remember. it that way. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I think it's primarily black and white and for sometimes me. Sometimes I can feel. I no can feel way. fabric. In dreams. Yeah. That's yeah. fascinating. I don't know. I've never heard that yeah. before from someone. Have you ever met anybody else who has expressed the same? No, I haven't. I haven't asked. I haven't asked. Do you see um, some people I know, there's a technique called synesthesia mm -hmm. where you attribute different senses to something. Right. Uh, a different quality of adjective or something. Mm -hmm. So if you see the color red, you actually feel right. hot maybe. Or, or sometimes when people see words, they give a color to it. Sure. I don't know. I, I don't have that, but I think it's fascinating. Okay. All right. It so when, when they're talking to somebody, colors are flashing mm -hmm. for them. Right. Isn't that Correct. amazing? Yeah, yeah. With every word. There's well, it just seemed with your dreaming, in a sense, you could feel your dreams that maybe it would lean into that sort of yeah. way. But Right. Okay. The, the next poem, Calculated Glimpses uh, on the East Side Train. Okay, and that's that? on page... It's the 38, page 38. Page 38. Oh, yes. Now, this is a love poem, wouldn't you say? This is a love poem in its sense. Calculated glimpses on the east side train. I know how to swim the deadly zone, past men on hot days, making music with their lips, twisting suggestion with their hands in a homage to their loneliness. It's too easy on the sidewalk. I like the ground-shaking buck, the rush of steel on steel. I like the soft rocking drift towards Brink's edge, the theory of anonymity, and I like you. You are looking at me, at me and away, away and at me. Rhythm of glimpses, rhythm of slow smiles. Lean, cross your denim legs and empty your arms. Roll, swing in certain stride, and throw your shadow over me. I watch speed and light twist your features, coming events, comfort and torture, comfort and tortured, tossed down at my side. In this temporary respite, no promises, no signs of relief or danger, just this blind chance with eyes closed. A love poem, certainly, and <laughs> sensual. So, uh, but I feel like we're talking about a stranger here. 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. So is it the stranger crossing the street? <laughs> no. A different street. <laughs> a different street. I don't think that stranger ever made it to New York. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Um, I think the person that's in this poem was a crush that I had had. Yeah. And so I put them in the poem. But um, I don't know. I, I was thinking about the rhythm of the train and then how the anonymity of the subway. People can choose to be seen on the subway or they can choose their anonymity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You lock eyes with somebody. That's my New York. If you locked eyes with somebody on that train, you are welcoming them into your life. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's a risky little move for you. And so she meets the gaze of this person, and there is that little dance that goes on. But then again, there's the little cynicism in there. Comfort and tortured, comfort and torture, tossed down at my side. Is that cynicism, or is it? Is that what that is? Is that yeah. cynicism? I noticed the contrast, definitely. Yeah. Comfort and torture, but... Comfort and torture. I guess that's me. You know, relationships, comforting, torturous, comfort and torture, tossed down at my side. Uh, So there's some acknowledgement. Yeah. The reality of what, yeah. Right, this is the guy on the corner. (laughs) Fleeting moment, but what what can a lasting moment be like or lasting time? Yeah. All right. So I I acknowledge this as you're writing. I can see that it's your, your... If I pick this poem up, I... I could say, yes, this is a Tracy Gordine poem, but there is mm-hmm. something different about it. Yeah. And it's n- not just the fact that it's written in the second person. You're addressing somebody. You are yes. looking at me and away and away at me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, more, there's more of the you in here yeah, Addre- this, addressing this stranger yes. directly. Right. I love that. It's yeah. like so bold uh-huh. Uh-huh. and so scary. Yes. Uh, Blind chance with eyes closed. Uh, I keep saying closed. I keep saying eyes closed. The original is eyes closed, but the editor closed eyes. Once you read a poem enough, you can't. They can do whatever they want. You will always put it the way you originally wrote it. Tell me a little about the process of publishing this book. Okay, so do you know Christian Kiefer? Sure, sir. Christian Kiefer, crazy madman, Renaissance guy, who can do impossible things in a single bound, dared me along with Michael Spurgeon. He says, okay, Tracy, it's your turn. Okay, get it together. Get these poems, you know, put it in. I never was one to racehorse to publishing. You know, I, I, I remember the days of putting together chapbooks with the Kinkos, you know, and that was a pain in the ass. So, I, you know, I, I never was really interested in it. But um, I got together the poems, I laid them down, and I gave them to Christian, and he came them back to me, and I was shocked because they looked like they went through a knife fight. I was stunned. Oh. I was stunned. It was amazing, the feelings that you get. And he, you know, he was wonderful. He, you know, heard me. He heard me weep. <laughs> you know, he's like... But I can't read these poems once you rearrange them. Once I've performed these things and you rearrange them, I won't be able to read them out of this book. He said, trust me on this. Let's go through it. And he sat down with me and we went through it and he gave me my reasonings. And I said, you know, you're right. You know, because you let go a little bit, get out of your own way, and you see that poem and you, you know, uh, go through it. And then um, he 
figured out what would be the appropriate way to lay these out, um, what order they should go in and stuff. And then um, we selected the cover. The cover is amazing. Yeah. And then this tell me inside. How that, tell me how this happened. Okay. Yeah, I, know, I know the inside photograph is a friend. Or That's something. Miriam Berkeley from okay. New York. A fantastic photographer. Isn't that fantastic? Yes. Yeah. And a, a snowy picture on yeah. New York Street. Yeah. Classic. With a bunch of guys out there mm-hmm. acting out. Um, yeah. And then Christian selected the sun thing that's going on there. Okay. So, yeah. On the cover. So it was Was fun. it a long process? It took a year. Oh, my. I would say. Oh. It took almost a year. And it, I can imagine some trepidation about Chris Christian we think of as a fiction writer. I don't know if he right. attends to poetry all that he much. He did. I think, I think, as a matter of fact, that Christian first started as a poet and then a songwriter. Yeah. And then into the, the um, you know, writing well, novels. He's insane. Well, they all turned uh, out. <laughs> <laughs> I did it the opposite. I was first a story you know, short story writer, and then I went into playwriting, and then I became a poet. Well, the narrative, right, glows, and, and the character, the and the voice, and the image. Yeah, you know, you seem like a, a spiritual person. I don't, I don't know what spiritual necessarily means. Mm-hmm. You know, people refer to you know, if you have a belief in a higher power or something, that makes you spiritual. Right, and often I hear people being accused of being spiritual when they really just don't like the term. And so I hope I'm not using mm-hmm. that in some way that you're uncomfortable with. But mm-hmm. is is that you? Is Do you have a spirituality that sort of yeah. assists, assists with poetry writing or? Well, I don't have any biblical references <laughs> or anything like that in right. my stuff. People might see that. And so, but... Um, I, you know, I do have this this thought in my head that um, I am spoken to. Seiku Sundiata said, and you must hear voices. If you're going to be a good poet, you must be still to listen and hear voices. And I, I feel sometimes that I am spoken to. And and by, I think that him. my poet, I, as some disembodied voice that will give me a phrase, like this, when Christian said, what are you going to call this? And I just kind of... Tip my ear a little bit, and I heard ringing in the wild. I said, okay, ringing in the wild. <laughs> you know, this voice told me to, to, to say that. Sometimes it'll give me a line or so. I think that the, me being here with the poetry, this is my work, and it's not so much about writing it down and reading it and performing it, but where poetry has taken me in my life inside those prisons to to be with those men, women, and children, to, to, to give them a little something, the students that I work with, um, sometimes the people in the audiences who come up to me afterwards, and then they start writing themselves. And then, so that, that seems spiritual to me, like there's this reason I'm doing this work. Mm. Do you feel connected to other, you say that you don't, the voice is sort of ambiguous, it doesn't come from anything specific that okay. speaks to you about in these creative ways, giving right. you these creative ideas and and kind of what to do in right. certain situations. But do you feel connected to people from your past or who have lived here on this earth before oh. people you knew or well, I think connection to ancestors? Or, oh, yeah, definitely. Yes? 
Oh, definitely. In, in what way? I feel like um, my father, my mom are around. <laughs> I, I fool around with metaphysics. I do the tarot. Um, I do meditation. I try to access a different realm than this in ways. Um, Pops put me in Catholic school, so there's that, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Do you see it as a, a welcoming of this quality or as sort of an invitation? You invite this? Or? I, I just think I'm open to it. Okay. I just think I'm open to it. I don't go seek it. I'm open to it. Maybe we have a time for a short poem. Do you have one in particular you'd like to... You said since we were talking so about far, the prison. I told you what to read, but yeah. Since we were, we're talking about the prison, uh, one of my favorite ones is there's something that happens in one of these lines. I don't know if it's in here. I think it's always, oh, yes, that I feel as if I channeled a little bit of Montoya, Jose. Okay. This is for a cat that was in the uh, OH Close uh, Juvenile Detention Center. And this is a true. Not all of him is gone. This Chicano carries the words of his barrio etched deep within his skin. On his knuckles, he wraps La Raza in black ink. La sits on his thumb. Raza follows on each digit. He flexes this fist often. Sometimes I see him stroke the word softly. Sometimes he rubs at it hard when frustration or loneliness hits, pushing the ink deep inside his blood. Jokey practices his stroll when he comes to class. For five seconds, he is on a Fresno Saturday Night Boulevard. And I am Lucha, Ana, Maria, Gloria, Silvia, the one with high black hair, earrings of gold that glitter lint at the flash and pass of low-riding, gold-rimmed, stereo-throbbing cars, heavy with song and impatience. I am the one, fresh from church, a novena falling from my lips, with lowered eyes and red-brown skin, with crooked teeth and one homemade dress. He will follow me home, teach me a new prayer. I am the one who walks in between mother and father, protected like a horse in a stall. He whispers my name, a slow stroke across my cheek. He finds me in windows, three stories up, leaning deep into the night to watch him pass. In this place, I am all of these girls. To him, their faces blur within mine. Their giggles echo in my eyes, my gestures. I carry memories of these girls to him in a place of sharp curses, hard touches, and lengthy silence, the stench of bland food, old tears, broken promises, fade memory into myth. When Jokey crosses the day room for class, his face softens. He sets his eyes in such a way I must remember to smile. And we smile, Tracy. I, you know, I thank you so much for being here today. I've so much enjoyed this talk, thank this you. conversation with you. I loved it. It was fun. So I, I'd like to, on the Coffee and Poets website, um, look for us on the Coffee and Poets website every uh, episode of Coffee and Poets. We meet every third Sunday. Um, or actually Lawrence Dinkins Jr., the the producer of the show, is here at that time. He has different guest hosts. I'm not always the one, of course, but Nsea uh, will greet you at the Naked Lounge. You'll have a fun time. Listen for the podcast. Again, our thanks to the sensual, visual, spiritual poet, Tracy Gordine. 
we look forward to seeing you next time at Coffee and Poets. Thank you, Frank. Thank you.